Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful to be all together this evening. My name is Gabe Phillips, if we have not met. I'm the, the proud father of Olivia Grace, uh, a, little, a little bun in the oven and the husband to amazing Fiona Phillips and get to be an, uh, one of the pastors here at Life Changes, which is a massive privilege. But we are so excited. We are starting a brand new series today. God is here. December has come. We've got Christmas in our, in our eyesight. We've got trees up. We are ready to go. And Christmas, as they say in the classics, is for me one of the most wonderful times of the year. And yet there's still a few things to me that just don't make sense about this, the season. I, I'm still a bit confused why my daughter is starting to learn the words to songs that go like Frosty the Snowman and Dashing Through the Snow while we're enjoying 40-degree heat. I don't get it. I still don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I still don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me why Mary and Joseph, a whole bunch of wise men, and some shepherds would allow a little drummer boy to come and whack a snare drum in the, in the ear of a newborn baby. still don't make sense to me that either. And also the fact of it doesn't make sense that we are, we are, some of us are still dreaming of a white Christmas because for me, I'll just take one where ESCOM doesn't cut our power. You know what? Some things just don't make sense to me at the moment. But this evening, we are launching the series, God is Here, and we are declaring as we lean into Christmas and we get so excited to celebrate the birth of Jesus when God became man to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us from our sins. But the thing is, we declare in the series that God is here from the title of the series. Maybe you're sitting here tonight, and, and for you, not just Christmas, but life at the moment is not making sense. Or, or there's some moments that are going on that just don't quite match up to what is expected of you. Maybe you can say, it sounds great to declare God is here, but it doesn't feel like God is here in my situation or my circumstance. It seems like God is here in their life. God is there in that situation. God is there in the woman who, who got healed from insomnia. That's great for them, but what about my situation? This evening, I, I want to say maybe potentially for you, life has just got really real in the last little while. For some people in our community, loved ones have died. For, for others, you know, when people are going through trials and sicknesses that are not just the one or two day flu, but something that just seems to be going on without end and trying to make sense of it. Sometimes it's when your kid gets sick or your kid goes through something and you really are coming up short with answers. Maybe for you, it's, it's financial chaos, it's rejection that you face, your love that, love that you've put out there but has not been given back to you, frustration, burnout. And, and you're going to, in this situation you're facing, you're going, where is God in this situation? I'm glad that you've asked, because I believe, thank you, I'm glad that you've asked, because this evening, I believe the, the Word of God has got a lot of things to say to us if you're facing a situation like that. Actually, so much so that one of my favorite discoveries a few years ago was that the Bible is uh, broken up into two parts, if you're unaware, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the, Bible, the Old Testament lands in the book of Malachi, and, uh, and the Old Testament stops in Malachi, but then there's this one t- page here, separating the Old and the New Testament. See that one page? It's quite dramatic, this. It's a nice Bible, thank you. But that one page actually represents 400 years. That page, from the end of Malachi to the start of the New Testament, is 400 years. 400 years where the, 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 the commentators called the intertestimonial period, or more colloquially called the silent years. Where it seemed like for these people, for the, for the Jewish people, the Israelites, they, they were like... God was there with Moses, God was there with David, God was there with Daniel, but for 400 years it seemed like God wasn't here with us. 
because there was no new written scripture. There was new, no new prophetic words being released. It was just business as usual and people trying to make sense of a whole lot of chaos and a whole lot of oppression and a whole lot of actually where is God in our story. And that's where we find ourselves this evening. As we turn the page after 400 years, we lean into what we affectionately know as the Christmas story. But I want to show you how much relevant, relevance it has for you and our, my life tonight. Here we live in the year 2018 in Cape Town. So if you'll do me a favor, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read a chunk of scripture this evening. It's uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. will be on the screen behind me. It's from the New Living Translation. But let's read tonight together. Verse 5 says this, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You'll have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he'll turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Now we come to my favorite part in the whole Bible. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. Just love it. I love it when he just speaks to you, you know. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this evening as we gather around your word for, for the next little while. I thank you as a series declares that God is here. We're not just talking about things that are far away. We are talking about the hope of the living God that's drawn near to mankind. Now I pray this evening, God, with so much courage in my heart that you would pour your hope into the very depths of every single heart here. I thank you, God, that it wouldn't be just any hope. It will be a living hope, a hope that might not make sense in the circumstance, but a hope that will hold us into the future you've got for us. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? Let me very quickly flesh out the story for you. 
Luke chapter 1, I love it, verse 5, very quickly, it opens up by Luke, the doctor who's writing this account. He's a doctor, he's writing an orderly account, he's not leaving out any details. Why? Because the whole purpose of Luke's gospel is Luke as a a right-brained man, as he's wanting to convey to us that actually this is not some myth or some legend, but this is something that's real and relevant to our lives, that Jesus is who he says he is. This is not some made-up story. So Luke roots this in the in a present day, in a, in a modern context for the reader there, and he tells him that this is actually a historically accurate story. Why? We find in verse 5, he says, actually, in the time of Herod the Great, king of Judea, the governor over Judea. So he roots us in this place of a man named Herod. Now, let me just quickly tell you about this man, Herod. Herod was a man that was now ruling over the, the Jewish nation at this time. And he was a local man that had been given authority by Rome to rule over them. Now, Herod, the th- few things that we need to know about Herod was that actually the amazing thing about Herod was that th- they were colloquially had given him the name. Herod was the king of the Jews. Something amazing. If you're familiar with scripture that your, your ears should prick up already. But he was given the title king of the Jews. Secondly, he was a man, he was represented, he had authority from Rome to represent Caesar. And Caesar, as all the other Caesars were, Caesar was seen to be a representative of God on earth. And all the Caesars were given the title, the Son of God. So Herod was a local man representing the Son of God. King of the Jews and the Son of God. And actually Herod was somebody who had come into Jerusalem and his, his one feat of, uh, of, that he added value to the Jewish people was that he helped rebuild the temple. He commissioned it, the temple that had been destroyed. He had rebuilt it. And it's that temple that Herod had built. The King of the Jews, the representative of the Son of God, he's the one who had built this temple. And it's that temple that we find Zechariah ministering as a priest in. And we find this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the Bible tells us a few things about them. Firstly, we find that they are people who are, are, are godly people. They are religious people from a pedigreed background. How do we know that? Well, it tells us in the first few lines. It says, Zechariah, who comes as the son of Abijah. So his dad was a, a priest in the, the order of Abijah. Then there was also Elizabeth, who comes from the, the line of Aaron, the priestly line of Aaron. These are people who are good, godly, faithful people who, who if they had a child, People would have gone, wow, that child will be amazing. Because look, their mother and father have come together and they've come from this pedigreed background. They'll be incredible. The Bible tells us not only were they godly people, it tells us that they were old. It says they were advanced in age. So if you ask me how old, I'm not, the Bible's not 100% clear on that. But it does again and again tell us that they were old, advanced in years. The same line that's used about Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. when It says Abraham were advanced in years and they were around 90 to 100 years old. So whatever type of age you want to pin it at, I don't know, but Zachary and Elizabeth were old. So we know they're godly, we know they're old, but the thing that we find out that's the most distinctive about them is that they are childless. They're barren. They cannot have any children. And this is for them is a deep pain because you see in this culture that they lived in, to be childless, to be barren, was, was the fact that it was actually viewed as a curse from God. Because to have a son or have a child, that was your future. That was your inheritance. That was your reward into the, into, as you lent into what God had for you. And to be barren was viewed as evidence that you had done something that had displeased God. And now your price, your penance, was that you couldn't have children. So this wasn't just a, something of an a, a, a individual pain that she carried and that Zach and Elizabeth carried of not being able to bear children. But it's also a societal pain as they were probably judged as going, yeah, we see you doing your religious duty, but what much is it doing? Because it doesn't look like God is there with you. Because if he was there with you, you would have had children. Because in that culture, it was equated to you've done something wrong. God is punishing you. So this is what we get to, this couple, Zach and Liz, as I affectionately call them. And 
And I can imagine every year, Zach is going up to the temple, Jerusalem, with a whole order of priests. They go up, and, and every year, he's probably got two prayers in his heart. First prayer is, God, please remove Herod, because Herod was, as though he was the king of the Jews, representing the son of God, had rebuilt the temple. He was a murderous, villainous man who did not have the good of the people at his heart. So his prayer life would have been, God, remove Herod. Please remove Herod. Let the Messiah come. Please, God. And secondly, if you have more time, we would love a child. Every year, I can imagine, that was his prayer life. Every year asking, and it seemed like nothing changed. Nothing happened. He went through the ritual, a good godly man, and nothing seemed to change. Probably would end up asking, why not our prayers, God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Might have been the phrase on his lips. So with all that said, I want to ask us today, bring it into our reality. What happens to you and I when we wake up? Maybe for you, this is your situation where you wake up every day with a bit of a cloud hanging over you. Maybe there's a bit of a cloud of disappointment that you're not where you should be after this year, that you haven't made it as much, haven't accomplished as much as you wanted to. You haven't achieved as much. You didn't get the job you wanted. You didn't get the promotion that had been dangled. And you wake up with a disappointment. Or maybe it's a, a cloud overshadowing you of depression or disillusionment or dysfunction. Whether you, wherever you're on that spectrum, I want to say today, I want to give you, whether you are in that place now or whether it is coming into your future, I want to give you today three habits of hope. Three habits of hope that we need to take, allow to take root in our hearts if we're going to walk into all that God has for us. Everyone okay? Give me a wave. Come on, evening service. Good to be together. So three things. The first one will be on the screen. I want to tell you today a habit of hope that we need to know is that hope is a promise. Hope is a promise. Because you see, when you're under a cloud, I want to challenge you, it's time to go to the root. When you're feeling under an overshadowing of depression, despair, despondency, of actually, where is God in this situation? Where is God in my my sickness? Where is God in my finances? Where is God in my relationships? If you're saying, God seems everywhere but here, I want to say, when, when the cloud comes over, it's time to go to the root. You see, this was the understanding, was that the book of Malachi, if you're unfamiliar, the last book before the 400 years, the last chapter ends with three distinctive proclamations that Zechariah would have known. As a priest, from a priestly line, he would have known off by heart, verse by verse, word by word, what the last word of God had been. And Malachi tells three things. Number one, he says, the Messiah is coming. He says it this way, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. A promise, Messiah is coming. Secondly, he tells him, before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come, someone in the like of Elijah, a forerunner, who will proclaim the Messiah's coming. And he said, thirdly, the evidence of this will be, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. So he knows this reality, he knows this deep, this truth, this promise that God has spoken. But the problem is after 400 years, after, and then after his circumstance with Herod overwhelming his life, with barrenness overwhelming his life, he can say, I know that promise is true, but I just don't know if it's true for me. He has the difference, you know, it's two words I want to help us bring into Greek words. The, the first one is this word called the Logos, the Logos word of God. It's what God has said that is unchangeable. Whatever he said in this word is true, it's a promise, and it's, it is, we believe it's the highest authority, it's irrevocable, it's undeniable. What God has spoken will come to pass. We believe it. The problem though is, that I think a lot of people will nod our head and say, yeah, that, that's cool for us because we've got cultural Christianity where, yeah, that's good for us. That's good for them. That's good for the church. And yeah, I believe it. But when it comes to our situations, we go, yeah, but maybe not for my situation. And that's where the second Greek word comes in that we're not too familiar with or too good at is a word called rhema. And it's not just a church up in Joburg. Thank you, Barry. Again, it's good to have you here. 
The word rhema means the Logos word of God exploding to life and reality in our present reality now. What I mean by that? It means that the, the penny that is God, that what God has spoken here is true, not just for, in reality for everyone else, but actually is true for me in my situation. That God has, takes the promises of God and explodes them to life in your life. Now you see, for our man Zechariah, this is where he fell short. He knew the promises of God for Israel, but he had not allowed it to come, become real for himself. He needed fresh revelation. He needed fresh understanding. I want to say to you and I that we need fresh revelation of the promises of God. If you're sitting here today, having somebody preach to you once a week is not enough. If you're not allowing the Spirit of God to give you rhema words and allow His word to leap in your hearts, it will not sustain you when the cloud comes over. I, I want to tell you this way that actually there's been some scriptures in my life that have I've, been, I've known them, but in the last little while, I've started to know them in a rhema way, and they've got to sustain me. And I'll give them quickly to you. The scripture in Philippians 1 verse 6, it says this, He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. In our Christian culture, that sounds great. Amen. Preach it, brother. Not too sure what it means, but it sounds godly. But when, I'll tell you, when it, when it becomes real is in your life, if you're not growing, if you're going, I'm not where I should be, I, I feel like I should be further in, I, I wish I, I used to love Jesus a lot more and I feel like I've been drifting or, here's the promise of God. He who began a good work in you, meaning he started it, he will be faithful to complete it. Wow, that breathes such hope in my heart. Such hope. Here's another one for you. Romans 8.28. You might have seen it on the back of a taxi recently. It says, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Now, now that's, that sounds good. And then in the charismatic culture, amen, brother, preach it. The preacher would wipe away his sweat. But the problem is, if that just remains as a logos word, it's true. But if it doesn't leap in your heart, it will do nothing. Because here's the thing. I believe when we read that scripture, that we know that all things, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. Here's the powerful truth in that. That brings in, that actually, do we believe that recession is in all things? Do we believe that sickness is in all things? Do we believe that even death is in all things? This is when it becomes real. This is when it becomes real. Actually, when you're under the cloud, actually, do I believe that in all things he's working for my good? The sovereignty of God is at hand here. Here's another one, the final one, Stephen. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Great truth. You're battling a sin. God is here. I know God can set me free from sin. I know. I believe that the cross is enough. I believe his grace is enough. But this sin, I just seem, I don't know how to get free of that sin. The truth of God is not just a promise, logos, and it's become reality that he said he'll not let a temptation that you cannot walk free of. He will not give you more than you can bear. He said every single time sin comes knocking at your door, he says, I will always give you a way out. You're not powerless. You're not a victim. You're a victor because of Christ Jesus. This is revelation. Rhema revelation needs to leap in our hearts. You see, when we don't have rhema, new, the, the word of God leaping in our hearts, fresh words of God, his word, not new words that weren't in the scriptures, no, but his word taking root in our hearts and, and the promise leaping to life, sometimes disappointment will reveal the unsturdy ground our hope is built on. And actually, sometimes I believe God might even allow disappointment to show us that our hope is built on something not sound, not safe, not secure. Let me illustrate it this way. 
In the year 2003, my family immigrated from Zimbabwe to Durban. We immigrated on the back of a whole bunch of political uh, upheaval. And uh, my, my family, who had worked hard, my dad, who had built our own home for 30 years, had paid it off, who had been investing into uh, investments and retirement policies, who had been going, doing everything that he knew was to be a good, godly man to look after his family's future. He had done that, but the economy collapsed overnight. And uh, we had to get rid of the properties. We had to leave quite quickly. And we left to, to Durban with suitcases in hand and with, our, with pension funds down to zero because of the economy. And actually with everything my father had worked for shrunk to the bare minimum overnight. We arrived in Durban and for the first nine months we lived at the, at the mercy and kindness of people in a, in a local church who allowed us to stay in their one-bedroom granny flats. So we moved from one-bedroom granny flat to another one. I slept on a, a mattress in the lounge. And uh, I remember seeing my dad, who was a 55-year-old male who had come to South Africa on the back of Zimbabwe. He had had contacts, he had, he had influence, he had prestige, but he comes here as a nobody with a little CV, handing it in, in workplaces and getting polite no after no after no after no. All of a sudden, you have to know what hope you're standing on. And I remember coming, going, leaving for school and then coming back for school. And the, 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 the image that is in my head in one bedroom flats was of my father opening up the scripture. And he was a godly man, a man who knew the word of God. But for the first time, I started to see my dad, not with a loud voice, not with a charismatic hoo-ha, but with quietness, just to sing out the scriptures and, and pray over his family. And this, this was not a victorious time. This was, not, this was probably one of the worst li- years of his life. And yet, I tell you, I started to see hope start to drip feed into my father's heart as the promises of God The Logos written word of God became rhema to him because he said, I stand on nothing else. I want to tell you what's even better is that a young boy, 15-year-old boy named Gabe Phillips, that's me, disclaimer. Spoiler alert. At that time, 15-year-old, as I walked in, hope started to erupt in my heart because I started to see what it really was to be a Christ follower. Because it was real, because everything else had been taken away. There's only one thing that remained. The hope that is a promise from God. You know, we see the scripture tonight. It will be on the screen here. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. If you can go to it now, Fritz, that'll be great. It's this great scripture. It starts off by saying this. This, is a, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I love this. This scripture has held me, it holds us, and it should hold you and I, that actually this is a hope that we've been given by God. It's a hope that is not based on circumstances, not a hope that floats on the waves of your situation. It's an anchor that goes down deeper than your circumstance, deeper than your ability to hold it together. It goes deep into the promises of God. This hope is an anchor for your soul. And you and I not, don't need to just nod and go, yeah, that's good for them. This needs to become truth and reality for you and I. Let rhema words erupt in our hearts. Secondly, this evening is hope is not just a promise, it's a path. Hope is a path. It's something to be walked out, to believed, to be acted upon. You see, here's this amazing thing. As Zechariah meets the angel, Abel says, I am Gabriel. And he's like, whoa, it's an incredible moment. He says, you know, all those promises, Zechariah, the time is now. Kenako, it is here. That's local language, if you're, if you're familiar, from 2010 World Cup. But anyway, I digress. The angel says, all of Malachi, those promises, is happening now and it's happening through you. You're going to be a central figure in this. The Messiah is coming. And actually, Elijah figure is going to be born in your wife's womb, Zechariah. He's like, it's coming. Everything that you know is coming, Zechariah. And Zechariah goes, Hapana. How can this happen? No ways. Haibo. What the heck? Not me. Surely, I'm old. Look at my wife. She's very old. 
And this is the amazing, the incredible understanding that actually hope is not just something to be known, it's something to be walked out upon. And uh, here's the thing for you and I, that because the angel sees Zechariah's doubt, and he says, actually, Zechariah, from this moment, I'm going to silence your tongue. You're not going to speak for the next nine months till the baby's born. Here's the thing, though. Doubt is not in itself a bad thing. How do I know that? Just keep reading in Luke 1. Mary's first response was also a bit doubtful. She said, how could this be? But there was a different response there. Actually, one of Jesus' disciples was named Doubting Thomas. And Jesus didn't push him away and say, no, you're out. He actually walked with him and through that journey. Actually, Matthew 28, verse 20, after Jesus has risen from the dead and it shows himself to his disciples, says, they worshipped him, comma, and some doubted. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them, doesn't give him a slap. No, no, doubt is not in itself bad, but it's what you do with your doubt. It's what you do with the moments when you're like, I'm not too sure. Because it's what you do with your doubt will determine whether you walk into a dead end or into your destiny. Let me, let me say it this way, that actually Zachariah's hope wasn't ready to walk it out. And the angel silenced him. I can imagine this was probably the best news Elizabeth had heard for nine months. She could have some peace and quiet. That's a joke for the spouses out here. Anyway, move on. But I want to encourage us that we need to be a people who silence our doubts and name our beliefs. What do I mean by that? Was Zechariah was silenced, and as the nine months came to an end, as the baby was born and, and came to be, and there came the naming process. In Luke chapter 2, you can read it later. They came and they said, Elizabeth, what is the baby's name? And she says, he shall be named John. And they, they, throw, they throw a fit. They go, no, 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 no. You can't do that. That is not tradition. That's not the lineage. He should be named after his father. And they look at Zechariah expectantly going, come on, buddy. Pull rank here. Your wife is out of order. And Zechariah, who had doubt in his heart, who had been silenced in this moment, gets a pen. He writes out, his name will be John. Agreeing not with tradition, not agreeing with the doubts that he first had, but actually gone in a process and started to declare, because John means the Lord is gracious. Not a response from somebody who's sulking after being silenced, but somebody who's had his heart moved in hope towards what God was doing. Silence our doubts and name our beliefs. You see, I want to tell you, this is not an easy journey at all. To walk out situations where there's an overwhelming shadow in our lives. They're not easy. The Bible actually says in Psalm 23, which is an often quoted scripture, if you ever do a funeral and people aren't really Christians, the one they'll request, because they're like, it's the only one we really know, Psalm 23. Because it feels light and fluffy, but it's anything but light and fluffy. It is an anchor. It is a, it is a deep truth for the hearts that are in chaos, because it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. If this was light and fluffy, God would say, even though you walk towards the valley, I'll, I will take you over it. Or I'll take you around it. No, no, but the good shepherd says, even though you walk through the valley, you walk through it. This is not an easy journey. This is not light and fluffy. And this actually, but it comes this when that every stumbling step has to be taken in hope. Understanding the hope is a promise, but hope is also to be walked out every day. This come to reality was when we fell pregnant with our little girl, Olivia Grace, and there was such joy in our hearts and we were courageous. And we said, actually, we announced the pregnancy before even the time that was, uh, the doctors say you should do because we're like, you know what? The sovereignty of God, whatever happens will happen. We believe God and God is gracious. God is kind, which we did until about as we're about two, three weeks out from the due date, the doc says, actually, it has to be a C-section. The reason why is because she's behind the placenta, and actually the cord's wrapped around her neck. All of a sudden, hope is a promise. I'm like, yes, I'm a preacher. All of a sudden, I'm like, what? Come again? Cord, you know, your brain goes to funny places. 
when you get that diagnosis, when something, all of a sudden you're going like, how am I going to walk this out? If something's wrong with her, if she, if she has, if there's defects, if, and if God forbid this is the end of the journey, and, and your heart goes somewhere that actually, the hope that's a promise, now in that moment needs to be hope that has walked out. When everything inside of you wants to retreat and say, I, I can't do this, actually that's when you have to say, actually God, I'm going to silence my doubts and I'm going to name my beliefs. What have you shown me? Who have you been to me? I'm going to walk there because hope is a path. And that's how Hebrews 11, 6 verse 19, we'll go to the next one. Second part of it said, hope is an anchor for our souls. But it goes on, it says, this hope leads us through the curtain to God's inner sanctuary. I've never understood that or read it. I've always quoted, hope is an anchor. But this anchor is not just one that is dead down in the depths of the ocean, unmovable, unshakable. It's a hope that is leading us into God's presence. I find that profound, that actually hope is not just a promise to be believed. Hope is a path to be walked out. I want to land this evening by telling you thirdly and finally that it's not just a promise, it's not just a path. Hope is a person. And spoiler alert, if you weren't listening, his name is Jesus Christ. You see, the story begins with this man, Herod, the pseudo-king of the Jews. Herod, the pseudo-representative of a false son of the God. Herod, a man who came and built the temple with his own hands. We know we have a man named Jesus Christ who comes, and as they crucified him, they mockingly put bestowed the title upon him, King of the Jews. As Jesus came, and, and, and he comes as not just as somebody who was representing the, a local man representing a foreign power. He comes as the man sent by God to become the man on the on the ground for us, the Son of God, the real Son of God revealed to us. And actually, it's incredible. The most blasphemous thing that he said to the Jewish audience that got him crucified, Jesus said this, to their holy of holies, their temple that Herod had rebuilt at great expense. He said this, tear it down and I'll rebuild it in three days. And at that, they freaked out and they wanted to crucify him. Was Jesus talking about the temple? No, no, he was actually talking about, actually, I've come to re- replace the temple. My presence is going to dwell in my people. And he's going to say, actually, you're going to tear me down. In three days, I'll rise again. You see, he has the understanding. Well, as I read this, I looked at Luke, the doctor's great orchestration of these texts. Is that actually so often we settle for fake, temporary solutions and substitutions when the real is on offer. Let me explain that actually I think too often the people, Zechariah and them had got used to living under the, the, the pseudo king of the Jews, under the false representative of the son of God, under the false man who had given them the temple. When Jesus says, I've got something so much better, the real, the thing that can never be stripped or taken away, the thing that is going to pour hope into your souls. Too often we're going to pseudo saviors. We're going, our hope is in the fact that actually on the 16th of December, I pray I get a bonus. We're trusting, God, then I'll be able to pay my bills. So please, bonus. And our hope is in that. Or we're saying, I hope my in-laws won't stay that long. Or, or, or let's get even real here. We've got a pseudo-savers of, I'm, gonna, I'm feeling down. I feel I don't know how to get over this depression, so I'm going to go to the pornography because I feel better there. I'm going to go to the alcohol because that's, that's the release for me. Or I'm going to go to social media. because that, Or I'm going to go to retail therapy. And we go to pseudo healers to, to cover the, 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 the wound, to cover our anxiety, to cover our depression, our disappointment, when actually the real is not enough and his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, I have come to bring life and life to the full. You see, there's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. For 400 years, hope was deferred. 
A Messiah is coming, Malachi shouted, and nothing changed. Zechariah just went on again with, with just laboring under a, a cloud of disappointment. But then God pitched up. And in that situation, said, actually, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And when that scripture declares in Proverbs, it's not just declaring some Christmas greeting card. It's actually saying that Jesus Christ, he came as a baby, his, his whole birth and the whole birth in the manger. Jesus came to earth with one primary purpose, to die on a tree, to bring you and I life. I want to tell you to this evening that actually our greatest hope is not in the fact that, uh, that somebody's going to encourage you, not in the fact that maybe next year will be better. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you that in your future, Jesus Christ is there. How do I know that? Let's finish that Hebrew scripture. Hebrews 6 says, it's an anchor for our souls, and it leads us as to walk out. But it also finishes by saying, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hope is an anchor. It's a promise that will sustain you. It's a Logos word of God that's immovable, but it wants to become Raymond real so that we can walk it out no matter what our situations. And hope will lead you into the very presence of God when everything else is calling for your attention. All the pseudo saviors, you can hold on. God, you are my hope. You are my hope in this situation. And the greatest news of all is that Jesus himself has gone before us. The great high priest. Zechariah was just an ordinary priest. We've got a, a high priest. Zechariah could only go this far, but the high priest goes in the whole way to the Holy of Holies and presents the sacrifice as final forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an order of priesthood to believe a priest who will never die, a priest who ever lives. We have a Savior who's gone in before us. No matter what you are facing right now, we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who's not a baby, but he's a risen king who has gone before you. And he sits at the right hand of the Father saying, actually, I'm giving you a hope that's an anchor and a hope that will lead you. And I hope they will sustain you because I have conquered sin and death. I land this evening with a story that's so close to home. It's so real for us. Probably a story that's marked our year the most. There's a, a couple in our church called Wayne and Jen Barthas. An amazing couple. A couple who, who love Jesus deeply. And they've got, they've got two probably two prayers. Just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, their two prayers have been, God, we, we would love a baby. That's been a cry on heart. We want a baby, God, of our own that we love. And, and on the other hand, the prayers. And also, we would love to start an orphanage. Where we're able to see the, the orphan statistics change. And, and they've been pressing into those two prayers. If I'm honest, that's probably been the two biggest prayers on the agenda for the last number of years. But because of complications, because of a journey that, that, that hasn't gone, right, gone the way they planned. Quite a couple of times, they've had moments where the, the, the false starts of pregnancies have ended in miscarriages. And, and these are God, good godly people and hope. They had to go to hope and hope as a promise. And, and it was hard and that journey of walking that out and in community and allowing people knowing their pain in this journey. That path, hope, has been difficult walking through the valley of the shadow of death but knowing he's with us and trusting that whole, all along that hope is the fact that it's a person, Jesus. He's gone ahead and he knows. He knows the desires of our hearts. We trust him alone. We trust him alone. This year, this amazing dream of, of an orphanage and a, and a baby of their own, they, they came together. They said, maybe it's time for us to look at adoption. And they, they started to go the process, and the process came to a head where they were called out on a Wednesday afternoon. They said, actually, we want you to come to a, a, an orphanage-type home, and we think we've got a child for you, Wayne and Jen. They didn't know much else. No more details. They rushed. They, we've got to go. They got there, and their eyes met the, this boy, that was going to become their son. 
And they said that immediately as they saw this little lad, their hearts just left and said, that's our boy. It felt like a promise of God just fulfilled in their heart. As Jean goes, that's my boy, that's my son. Wayne's saying, that's my son. And they said, what is incredible, they, they didn't know the name until the moment that they said, no, this is his name. They told his name. And they went home that evening as they were so, they were so excited as the process began of, of this boy going to come home to, to become their son. They looked up the meaning of his name. And the next morning, it was a Thursday morning, we had a prayer meeting here, and Wayne came with tears in his eyes, and he says, guys, my boy's name is Zachary, and Zachary means the Lord has remembered. This was no coincidence, this is no chance, this is the work of a king who says, my hope is an anchor for the soul. I have a hope that will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, and I have a king named Jesus who's gone before, and he has made a way for you where there seems to be no way. I want to tell you this evening. That the Lord has remembered, no matter where you are in your disappointment, no matter where you are in your depression, your disillusionment, your dysfunction, your sickness, your sadness, your sorrow, your pain. The Lord has remembered you. The Lord has remembered you and he can breathe hope into any situation. Here's my biggest thing that the Lord says to any prayer that just prayed tonight. He can, he sometimes brings breakthrough. But he always brings his presence. That is the promise of the king. He sometimes will change your circumstance, but he'll always be there with you in your circumstance. So this evening, we want to land, and we're going to have communion together. And uh, as we have communion together, my prayer for us is that as we take communion, which is a, a, a biblical ordinance that God has called us to do to remember Jesus and the sacrifice for us, but I pray tonight this will not just be a Logos moment, a moment of going, yeah, this is what we do at church but this would be a rhema revelation moment where we say, God, would everything that you have promised me, all this hope that you have promised me in the cross of Jesus Christ, would it explode in my life, would it explode into the darkness of my situation, would it explode into the doubt in my heart, and would you bring your life where there has not been life?